0: Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Merry Christmas. I, too, want to just say thank you to all the folks that came in this past week and decorated the church. It looks wonderful. Thank you all so very much. And speaking of Christmas, just a couple of dates to keep in mind. Wednesday, the 18th of December, we'll be going Christmas caroling. For those of you that are interested in coming back and eating maybe one or two or a dozen Christmas cookies. Uh, And then December the 24th, which is a Tuesday this year, the night before Christmas, we always have a Christmas Eve candlelight service, and we would love to have you come out and be a part of that as well. So today we do begin a month-long series looking at the Christmas story from the pen, if you will, of Dr. Luke. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, Uh, Join me in Luke chapter 1 this morning. We're going to actually be looking this morning at uh, the birth of John the Baptist and uh, the interaction that his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, have with an angel sent from God named Gabriel. And we're going to be looking at their life. And we're going to see why it was so important that in the birth story of Jesus Christ that Luke also spent some time looking at the birth of John the Baptist as well. And I want to lay out some sort of general things that I think God wants to teach us through this entire series uh, that we're going to see each and every week. One is that we just went through a 14-week study on God. Shaping Our Heart to Be a Worshipper. In this series, we're going to see God use this to shape our hearts to be his servants. Because God invites us, wants us, desires us as part of his plan to be his servants. And one of the things that the Christmas story reminds us of is that God in his plan and purpose on this earth that God has always wanted and desires to use people just like you and I to write that story. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're going to find out, in a sense, in a lot of ways, are just like we are. Mary and Joseph, normal people, just like us, and yet God came to them and tapped them in these ways to use them. And God, and here's the thing, God still is doing that today. And if you and I would be open to what God wants to do, God can work in us and through us just as he did these people 2,000 years ago. But he wants us to believe that and he wants us to embrace that, you see. The other thing that we see here in these stories surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, is that though God does use people, we have to come to a place to believe that we may think we're just one little person, but we're serving a big God. So think of it this way. Little people, big God. And no matter who we think we are or what we think we can achieve, God can do so much more, again, if we just make ourselves available to him. More than anything else, though, I want us to sort of recapture, if you will, the wonder of what God did 2,000 years ago. Many times, even as Christians, we can lose the wonder of Christmas to think that God became a human being, that, that Jesus Christ is the perfect God, man, 100% deity, 100 percent humanity and that he came to this earth in in that way and and existed and and came down to show us in flesh and blood what and who god was and how much he loved us and that he went to the extent of dying on a cross not for his own sin but for our sin so that we could have a permanent relationship and fellowship with god i i hope that we never lose the wonder of what Jesus did. But that story, according to Dr. Luke, begins with a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. So I'd like you to begin reading with me in verse 5, actually, of chapter 1. We're not going to take time to look at the first four verses that gives us sort of the author and who Luke was writing this all to. You and I can do that in our, in our own time and There's so much that I want to cover, especially this week, because it's the longest portion of what we're going to be looking at each week throughout our Christmas series, that I want to just dive right into it. So you'll see in verse 5 that Luke gives us sort of the historical context of when all this went down. It was during the reign of Herod, king of Judea. And it reminds us of something if we study a little bit. And that is, at that time, as far as Israel and the people of God was concerned, it was a low point spiritually. It was a very dark time. The Roman Empire was in charge of the world, and people like Herod was ruling and reigning. It was not a good time. It was not this great spiritual revival or awakening that was taking place. In fact, we know that God had been silent for hundreds of years at this point to his people because of their disobedience and their rebellious heart. And so there wasn't a lot of spiritual movement or action. And people were living in darkness, but some were looking for the light of God to arrive. But that's when all this was taking place. It reminds us again, God doesn't need a perfect environment to do wonders and miracles in God doesn't need everything to be laid out or for everything to be going well and all that. In fact, God is an expert at being able to come in to very dark places and lighting it up. He he is able to come into a lot of mess and and a lot of chaos and stuff and and bring his presence to bear and be able to turn things around very quickly. In that time there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and he had a wife named Elizabeth who was also a descendant of Aaron. So both of them in a sense were descendants of the priestly line. Notice what it says. They were both righteous in the sight of God following all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. In other words, from an external place and as far as man could, could, you know, look at it, they were good people doing what they were supposed to be doing and doing it in the right way. There, were, there was nothing wrong with the way Zechariah and Elizabeth were living. But what we're going to see is God wanted to take them where they were at and he wanted to raise the level of their service. And he was going to do that through coming into their lives and filling their life with wonder. Wonder of who he was. And we're going to see that even this morning as we see them at the beginning of this story and then we're going to see what especially Zechariah looks like at the end. And that may be true for many of us here today. Maybe outwardly we're doing everything right. You know, we're trying to live for the Lord and and we're serving him in some capacity like Zechariah and Elizabeth, but God wants to take all of us no matter where we are to another level. He wants to say, you're here right now, but I want to fill you with my wonder, with who I am, so that it, it can even be magnified and so that your life and your service and your witness for me can even be greater than it ever was, and that's because your life is now going to be filled with the wonder of me that you never had before, you see. Again, it's not like Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't know God. It's not like they weren't serving God. It's not like they weren't in the right place at the right time. They were doing all the right things, but did they truly live their life and serve the Lord out of a wonder of God? Notice something else here. Just like all of us, they have their stuff, right? Right? And this is just one thing that's pointed out. They have have stuff that that they're dealing with. And and really, they are very old at this point. And the Bible says in verse 7, they did not have a child. Elizabeth was barren, and they were both very old. And so, again, humanly, they were past the age of having children at this point. Sort of like Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. And it it reminds us all that no matter who we are and how faithful we may be trying to live for the Lord, all of us still have stuff that we're trying to process in our life and we're still trying to navigate, especially in relationship to our relationship with God. And I'm sure they had that struggle because remember, unlike in our day, at least for the most part, in that day, For a woman, especially, not to be able to bear children, that was very shameful. Now, I want to point something out. If you go over to verse 25, after she becomes pregnant, and I know I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but I wanted to make this point at this point. Notice what Elizabeth says in verse 25 of Luke 1. This is what the Lord has done for me at the time when he has been gracious to me to take away my disgrace among people. Folks, I want to point something out. That's not how God saw her. That is a self-imposed disgrace that Elizabeth lived with. You see. God never thought anything less of her because she couldn't have children. Maybe other people looked at her that way, and because of that, maybe she looked at herself that way. And so I want to say something today. We as human beings, even God's people, need to be careful that we're not living under a self-imposed shame or disgrace that we, our others, are putting on us that God himself never said about us. Okay? We have to be defined by God and by God alone. And we've got to be careful even as God's people that we don't look at ourselves any less or any differently than the way God looks at us, which is why we need to look at ourselves through the eyes of God. And we need to look at ourselves through the eyes of Scripture because we can live with a bunch of lies hanging over our lives all our life until we are confronted with the truth of God that can set us free from living under self-imposed shame and disgrace and all of that, that God never spoke over our lives. And that was true of Elizabeth. She lived her whole life feeling a disgrace, and there was no reason for that because God never thought of her that way. God never looked at her that way well that was just one of the things that they were dealing with but then if you go back to verse 8 notice this Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division on duty that he was chosen by lot well again we would say well it's just circumstances right it just happened to be his time to be picked (laughs) oh we must not forget there are no accidents or coincidences with God. This is all a result of God's providence and his grace that he, at this particular time, was chosen to notice, enter the holy place of the Lord and burn incense. Now, I know that doesn't mean a lot to us, Gentiles and not living in the Old Testament economy anymore, but let me try to paint a very quick picture of how special this was for a priest like Zechariah. This was maybe, for any priest, a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This was not something that every priest got to do during their lifetime. Think about it. It wasn't just something they did once a week, once a month, once a year. No, they were picked, and it was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest to be able to go in and enter that holy place and offer that. So, This is a big time for Zechariah. This is going to be really special. He's never going to forget these few moments that he gets to go in to a place that he's never going to get to go in ever again in his lifetime. And that he's going to have the privilege of being able to do this as a priest of God. Now notice verse 10, just like they would always do, the whole crowd of people, they're praying outside, At the hour of the incense offering, they're just waiting for Zechariah to go in, sort of do his thing. It's not going to take very long, and then come back out. But notice in verse 11, an angel of the Lord, and we are introduced to him later as Gabriel, is standing on the right side of the altar of incense and he appears to Zechariah. Zechariah, obviously, visibly shaken when he sees the angel. He was seized with fear. The angel says, do not be afraid. And then says to Zechariah, your prayer's been heard. What? Yeah, you're going to have a child, you and your wife Elizabeth. Now let's stop there for a minute. It's I think pretty safe to say that they had stopped praying for a child for a long time. <laughs> because even the language is saying this was a prayer that was way in the past. And what's that tell us again about the wonder of God? That God never forgets our prayers. And that God isn't on our timetable in order when he answers our prayers or in the way that we want him to answer our prayers. And even as a human being like Zechariah and Elizabeth, even as God's servants who are faithful to God, and we know they were good people, they probably gave up praying that prayer a long time ago. But God remembered. Very interesting, too, the name Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, his name means God remembers And isn't that part of the wonder of God that God never forgets us, his people? He never forgets any prayer that we ever prayed. He never forgets his promises to us. But the wild thing is the Bible tells us that he chooses to forget our sin because he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. Now, not that God can physically ever forget something. He can't. But he just chooses not to focus on it or dwell on it which again speaks about the wonder of our God. He remembers his promises. He remembers our our prayers. He remembers all the things that we've done in his name, including giving a cup of cold water. Everything that we ever do for him and for his glory, he will reward us for because he will never forget it. But our sins and our failures and all of that, he chooses to wipe away and never dwell on it again. And so he says to Zechariah, your prayer's been heard. I can only imagine what was going on in Zechariah's mind and heart at this point when he says, your wife is going to bear a son. So then the angel Gabriel talks a lot about John the Baptist in verse 14, 15, 16, and 17. But at the end of verse 17, he makes a very important statement that I want to spend a moment on as well. When he says, part of your son's mission on this earth will be to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. That's very important. Because that is teaching us something. And that is that even God's people need to be prepared for him. We need to be made ready to experience him. Not not even what he wants to do necessarily or where he wants to take us and what he wants. No, literally just him, just his person, his presence. You and I need to be made ready and prepared for him. And he's always doing that. He had to do that 2,000 years ago for his people and he still does that today. And I just look back even again with a smile on my face over the last 14 weeks of our Heart of Worship series. And what I saw as the pastor of this church was God preparing his people for him. And now God is going to turn around and he wants to use this series and this worship and this season in our church to prepare us for him because we need to be prepared for him because he's an infinite God and he's so great and he's so big and he can't just come in and we be ready for him. No, we've got to go through a season and series of preparation in order to truly engage and experience and get the most out of him and his presence in our life that we can possibly get. And if we're not prepared for him and if we're not made ready for him and if we're not willing to go through that, then we're going to miss God. Just like they missed the coming of God the first time 2,000 years ago. Most people missed the first Christmas. Why? Because they weren't breathing? Because they weren't alive? Because they didn't have senses? No. It was because they were unwilling to, To let God prepare them for himself. And you and I need to take away that part of the wonder of God is that we can't just experience God and engage with God without, first of all, being made ready and prepared to encounter him in our lives. And our whole life. Really then from the time we meet Christ to the time we go home to be with Christ is all about God preparing us to even live in his presence for all of eternity. Which is why we talked a lot about worship needs to be part of our life now because it's going to be part of our life up there. I'm sure that began to rock Zechariah's world as well. But then notice this. Oh, here's where we see that even though Zechariah was a priest, even though he was faithful, even though externally everything would have looked good to everybody else, Zechariah had some flaws in his faith, some flaws in his spiritual life, some struggles that God still needed to Prepare and work through with him so that again he could experience the wonder of God and be a greater witness and servant for the Lord. Because notice what Zechariah says to the angel in verse 18 How can I be sure of this? Zechariah wants proof. He truly is ex- expressing his unbelief and doubt because notice he says, Well, I'm an old man and so's my wife. Oh boy. You want to rouse up an angel, especially one like Gabriel? Oh, boy, you don't want to say that to an angel when he comes to you. Because notice the response of Gabriel in verse 19. The angel answered him and said, man, do you not know who I am? I am Gabriel. I love that. I think that, that's, that, that's an angel who knows who he is, right? You say, well, why first of all did Gabriel get so, you know, emotional about this? Well, if you know the Word of God, you know that Gabriel was the one that hundreds of years before was sent by God to a man named Daniel to prophesy to Daniel about the coming of the Messiah. And then Gabriel goes on to say this, He says, I am an angel who has the privilege of literally standing in the presence of God. I see God every day. And you are doubting what my God can do? You're doubting that no matter how old you are, you could be 500 years old. My God that I stand in the presence of, nothing is impossible for him. And man, you better start believing it, Zechariah. Here's what we learn from the words of Gabriel. At least one major thing. The presence of God changes our perspective. Amen. See, Gabriel was like, I don't have an issue with what God can do because I'm in his presence every day. I see him in all his glory. I know this is nothing for God. Your problem, Zechariah, is even though you've been a priest and even though you've served him all these years, you have not been in the presence of God enough as a human being to get past all this doubt and all this unbelief of God. you got to get into the presence of God and spend some time with God, which is why God in his word is always encouraging us to spend time in his presence. Because when you and I spend time worshiping our God and in his word and spending time, I'm with him, our perspective will change through his presence, Amen. just as it did with Gabriel. Gabriel said, I don't have a problem with this because I stand in the presence of God. And again, God is preparing us to be in his presence for all of eternity, but God wants us to begin to be in his presence on a daily basis now so that he can change our perspective so that our whole mindset, our whole outlook on life and on the things that we're dealing with would change. And so we could see the wonder of God and not get so caught up with the bigness of the trial or the difficulty or the situation that we're facing, but so that it could be wrapped up in the bigness and greatness and wonder of God. And then we we change everything when we start with God and then our circumstances then fall into its rightful place. So he says, Gabriel, well, I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news, but now because of your unbelief, this is going to be what happens to you. You will be unable to speak. You will be silent until the day these things take place. Well, guess what? That's nine months, right? Nine months. Zip it, Zechariah. And can I just say, and I'm speaking to myself as well, we would all do well to speak less and listen more. And that's a lesson that Zechariah was going to learn because here's the cool thing. Please understand what Gabriel under the authority of God is doing here with Zechariah. He is positioning him for progress. He's not punishing him. God never punishes his people. What he will do is bring circumstances or consequences into our life because of our lack of being in his presence and therefore our expression of unbelief and all of this. Because again, the ultimate plan of God is He wants to use each of us. He wants us to serve him. And he understands the way my people will witness for me and serve me better is by positioning them here because he ultimately did not want to tank Zechariah. He wanted to position him so that he could spend nine months with just probably him and God doing a lot of talking, even though he couldn't speak, that he and God were going to spend a lot more time together over these nine months. And Zechariah was going to come out nine months later a much stronger, much better servant for the Lord than he was even back here when the Bible said, oh, he was good and he was righteous and you know, he, he was a faithful priest and all that. Again, just like many of us. And I don't know what God's doing in your life right now. Obviously, you know, he doesn't come along all the time when we're not maybe where we could be or should be and and render us speechless for nine months. But God does want to position each of us for spiritual growth and progress in our life. Because that's the heart of God. God wants to use us. That's his plan. So notice, the rest of verses 21 through 25, basically, again, is just giving us a little detail about what's happening. The people are like, man, it's taken Zechariah a long time. What's he doing in there? Well, not every priest that went in had an encounter with the angel Gabriel, right? And so they're waiting for him to come out. And when he comes out, he can't speak. And the Bible says that in verse 24, after some time his wife Elizabeth did become pregnant and for five months she kept herself in seclusion. We don't know why actually she did that. I don't even want to go into speculation. Could it be that because she's always had trouble maybe bearing children or whatever, she wanted to make sure that nothing was going to happen, that maybe she suffered a miscarriage? Again, we don't know. Maybe it was just God wanted her to just be with him and just really spend some great time with him because she maybe wasn't going to be the mother of the Son of God, but she was going to be the mother of John the Baptist, and that was going to be interesting too. So she says, this is what the Lord has done for me at that time, gracious to me to take away my disgrace among people. Well, if you go up to now verse 57 because we're going to deal with the angelic announcement to Mary and Mary's song next week, I want us to finish out the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The time came for Elizabeth, verse 57, to have her baby, and she gave birth to a a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Why? Because their root of joy was in recognition that this was God's provision. This wasn't something that we as human beings cooked up or dreamed up or could do ourselves. These two were old, old people. In fact, let me just insert, I believe that's why John the Baptist grew up and most of his ministry was by himself because I believe that his parents soon died after he was born. They they were very, very old. You hear nothing about Zechariah and Elizabeth during the lifetime and adulthood and ministry of John the Baptist. That's how old they were, you see. It's only something God could do. And the reason I want to pause here for a moment is we need this message as a church and we need this message individually. Because we are so tempted, especially in our modern day and age, where everything has got to be done and got to be done yesterday, (laughs) where there's no patience and no grief, deferred gratification mindset or anything. It's like it's got to be done now. We've got to hear this. And that is that you and I, we can try to speed up the work of God or, or we can try to do it ourselves and try to bring something about that we did that ends up we sort of get the credit for and glory for But God had very little to do with it because we got our hands in there and we rushed it along and we we just couldn't wait. But how wonderful is it when you and I take our hands off of the situation, do what God asks us to do, but let God Himself be the one to bring it about? Isn't that greater? Absolutely, because God can bring about miracles and wonders and do things that you and I supernaturally could never do on our own. So if we just let go and let God and step back and let God take center stage and let him do something, what God wants to do in our church and in our lives is always greater than what we could ever do. And so God may be saying to some of us and saying to our churches today, step back and let me start to do something because you guys in your church, you're, you're, you're so, you know, on trying to do all of it yourself and do it in your own strength and, and do it with all of your skills and abilities and talents and all of this. Step aside and let God come in. Because then, when we know God has done something so incredible, guess who gets the glory for it? Not us, but God does. And that's why I've said from day one in starting this church that I want to be part of a church where God does so many amazing things that only God can get the credit for it. That no human being, no pastor, no leaders, whatever, that we get the glory for it, but it all goes to God because only God could do that. Not any other human being. So then... On the eighth day, they bring the child to be circumcised. And I love this. His mother replied, well, we're going to name him after Zechariah, right? Because that's what families did back then. They had certain family names, maybe like you all, and they used those family names. See, the problem is John, eventually called John the Baptist, John was not at all in the family history or ancestry of Zechariah or Elizabeth. So his mother replied, no, he must be named John. Where'd she get that? I'm sure her husband said, we got to name this child John because that's what the angel Gabriel said his name needs to be. I got that straight from God. And if there's one thing I've learned in nine months of silence is I better start doing what God said. (laughs) Well, they said to her, again, verse but none of your relatives bears this name. So they made signs to the baby's father inquiring what he wanted to name his son. And notice, I love this. If you remember where Zechariah came from, especially in his encounter with Gabriel, and now where he is, his faith has grown from basically unbelief to a confident faith. He takes the writing tablet and he writes, his name is John. There's a statement right there. How did he get to that point? Because God positioned him for progress by keeping his mouth shut for nine months. And by allowing Zechariah to have a lot of time to think over his relationship with God and his God and who he really serves and what kind of a God he is and how great he is and how wonderful he is. And maybe I should start spending more time in his presence even though I serve God, because many times like us, we get so busy serving God that we forget the God that we're serving, and we're so busy doing all these things, but if we're doing them and still not spending time with the God that we say we're serving, then we're going to miss it, and so are the people that we're serving going to miss it as well. Because it's not about even the acts of service that we do. It's about them seeing God in us. If, we, if people can't see God in us even as we serve him, then there's something missing in our service and in our ministry. They were all amazed. But see, that's what, when God does something, that's what happens. People start to get amazed and astonished and wonder. You see those words throughout the Christmas story. They're in awe. They're in wonder. They're amazed. Why? Because God's being allowed to do what only God can do. And the people are allowing him to do it. And immediately after that act of faith, notice at the end, Zechariah's mouth was opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke, blessing God. Notice after nine months of silence from God, he didn't come out going, boy, yeah, that was a long nine months or, you know, complaining about all the the months where he couldn't speak. No, no, he just starts praising the Lord. Why? Because he spent those nine months positioned for progress and growth in who his God was. And he was so now just overflowing with who God was that it was just going to start spilling out. And that's what God wants to position all of us to to that that place, where we could be just like them. We could be faithfully serving the Lord, going through the motions externally, everybody looking at our lives going, there's nothing really wrong with what they're doing. They're not doing anything, you know, majorly wrong. They're trying to serve the Lord. But are we really connected to the person and presence of God in our life? And is our life so filled with the wonder of who he is that, that it literally just, forever changes who we are and changes everybody around us because we're not going to be able to help but start to just speak about the Lord. All their neighbors, verse 65, were filled with fear, literally reverential awe, and it went throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All these things were being talked about. All who heard these things kept them in their hearts and they're saying, what's this child going to be? Meaning John the Baptist. Now, why is God trying to get all the people to focus their attention on Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John? Why is he capturing their attention? Why is he captivating them and directing their focus to this child? I'll tell you why. Because when this child comes to earth and when this child grows up, what's this child going to do? Going to point everybody to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. See, that's why God had everybody's attention on John because John was going to put everybody's attention on Jesus. Can I tell you, God works that same principle today. He's looking for people today, just like Zechariah, just like John the Baptist, just like Elizabeth, who when people get to know us, We're just pointing them to Jesus. And when God can find people like that, God will start bringing other people into our orbit, into our sphere, into our life. Because God goes, I know that if I bring them to you and and their attention is on you, that that you're not going to keep that attention to you and draw them to you to follow you and and give you glory and and lift you up with pride. You're going to point them to my son Jesus. So I'm bringing people to you. That's why I tell Christians, you never are going to have to worry about your ministry and service if you're truly pointing people to Jesus and glorifying him. God will make sure people get to you in your life. He will make sure that people come in contact with you because God knows that if they come in contact with me, with them, they're going to Jesus. That's who we're going to light up. Not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. And then we end with this. His father, Zechariah, verse 67, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied about the plan of God, about the promises of God, and about the person of his son, John the Baptist, and who he would become. But I want you to notice a couple things as we wrap this up this morning. Notice in the very first verse of this praise song of of Zechariah to the Lord. He starts out by blessing the Lord, thanking the Lord. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel because... Don't miss these next five words. He has come to help. Oh, my goodness. For me, the first time I read that preparing for this, this series, it was like God just took his heavenly baseball bat and went, boom! Did you get that, Jeff? Jesus is coming to help. He's coming to help you. He's coming to help you, sir, and you, ma'am. He's coming to help everyone in this room if we want his help and if we're willing to receive his help. And it's so sad because how many human beings, even Christians, even those who claim the name of Christ or claim to be followers of God, live much of their life without allowing him to help? And it's the whole message of Christmas. He didn't come to help himself. He needs no help. He came down to this earth to help us. Because we need it. Amen. My goodness, do we, our world needs God more than ever. Amen. I hope all of us will be filled with the wonder of God to know that he didn't have to do any of us for him, and he didn't for him. He did it all for us, and he's come to help us. Are we willing to receive his help and live with his help and rely upon him and depend upon him and everything that we need every day? But I want to just mention these things also very quickly. Notice Zechariah says four things about the plan of God. First of all, he says he came to help because he's going to redeem his people. That word means he paid the price to set us free. He didn't just set us free. He had to pay a price to set us free. We were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain manner of life, Peter says, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ we were set free. Amen. He paid the price so that we could be free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day from the very presence of sin. But secondly, notice that our rescue, our deliverance, our salvation is always tied to service. Notice verse 74, that we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies that we may serve him without fear. God never saved us for us to sit. God didn't save us to be spectators. God saved every one of us so that we would serve him. So in this series, God is wanting to create and shape the heart of his people to be the heart of a true servant and what it means to serve him. Another part of God's plan, verse 79, is to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death. To literally shine upon us in a way for his light to be seen which is why light is such an important aspect of the Christmas season, why we have trees with lights and wreaths with lights and candles and all of that. It goes right back to the very heart of the Christmas story. The light of the world came into the darkness of the world to light up the lives of those who believe in him so that we can be a light and point others to him, the light. And then finally, the last part of his plan The end of verse 79 to guide our feet into the way of peace, to give us peace, a peace that we talked about Wednesday night that passes all understanding. Do you see the transformation this morning just in Zechariah? And again, let's be clear it's not that Zechariah was this terrible person not doing the will of God. No, he was a priest, he was faithfully serving the Lord but he still did not live in the wonder of who God was. And he needed to encounter the wonder of his God and spend more time in his presence. And we see that when he did that, how transformative it was in Zechariah's life. He went from being this priest that was just sort of going through the motions of his service and his life to the Lord. And now he became this confident witness after he encountered the wonder of God who was able to speak like never before so confidently and so fearlessly about his God and about the plan of God and the promises of God and the person of God in his life. And God wants to do the same thing today with us. Because again, one of the other main messages of the Christmas story is this. God used ordinary people just like us to accomplish his will. And God wants to do the same thing today. All he asks is, will you be open to my wonder? Will you be willing to enter my presence And let my presence in your life change your perspective. This is what God is looking for today. I want our church this December to grow in our wonder of our God so that we can be an even greater witness in the world in which we are in today, a world of darkness. And that's why I'm encouraging you all this month, especially. But into the new year, leverage those relationships. Take those opportunities that God gives you every day with your family and friends and neighbors and coworkers and all of that to point them to their God. We need light bearers who are filled with the wonder of God so that we can make a greater impact in the world in which we live. Would you stand with me? God, I pray today that all of us would sort of recommit ourselves to you and to serving you. And not just serving you, God, by doing what we know we should be doing. Not just going through the motions and checking all the right boxes and hitting all the right notes in our life. But God, just allowing you to invade our life like never before and truly changing us. Because God, everything can look good on the outside to others and and even to us. There could be no glaring thing that is out of whack in our life. But yet, God, we still might be missing the wonder of you in our life. And I pray, God, that you would fill this church with your wonder, especially this next month as we look at the birth of your son, Jesus. That we would see you, God, in in a different light. That we would see ourselves in a different light. And that we as a church and that we as individuals would never be the same again. That we would go from being people who maybe are doing the right thing in the right way and all of that to to a people that there are no limits. There is no ceiling. There's no fear anymore. It's all been wiped away in the wonder of you. God, would you do that beginning today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.